Welcome to the internet. Live from the Marriott Library at the University of Utah, this is the Red Line Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Dunstan, and these are my co-hosts... Kyle Holland and... Alex Fielder. Today we're finishing our series about Amtrak and American passenger rail in general by talking about how our intercity rail can be improved. All this after the news. First up today, RTD has finally restored service on its R-Line through Aurora following a catastrophic derailment several weeks ago. The approach speed for the curve on which the derailment occurred has been decreased from 35 miles an hour to 25 miles per hour, and the intersection has been redesigned in the hopes of preventing future derailments. The intersection in question was the site of an earlier LRV derailment, leading to questions as to the soundness of its design in the first place. Uh, what do you mean redesigned? Like, how do you just make a curve know, not a They repainted it or something, and they got rid of, like, some barriers for, like, the vision of the drive of the train driver. But w- wasn't the issue because they were going too fast, not because yeah, the speed a, limit was They too went high? into a 35 at 45 and then into the curve, which is, like, 15 at, like, 35. <laughs> so, so. not <laughs> decreasing it to 25 do nothing because that wasn't the issue in the first place? Optics. Oh. Because they can they can't actually do anything because the entire issue was driver error. Yeah. So they have to make it look like they did something. I mean what they could have done is last time this happened, install a PTC system that do you can know prevent how much the train that from would cost, Kyle? Yeah, they figured it was like ten to fifteen million. They have no money. <laughs> yep. RTD has literally no money because they are drowning in debt from their equivalent of the front lines program. <sighs> Hey, at least we're not we're like just waist deep in debt. Like there's a reason their airport fare is like eleven dollars. <laughs> well, I, uh, I I see why they did it, but it's still when I just slow down transit just a bit, but it'll still be annoying. Well, and I mean, let's let's go to the wonderful Google Maps for a moment and discover just how like screwed up this intersection was in the first place. It shouldn't be an intersection. It should so, be a straightaway. Uh, this is the intersection in question where they made this lovely square diversion around a parking lot for no reason. So because property see, acquisitions, this is, this is property acquisitions. Oh, okay. So, like, this section, yeah, because they just, they just, instead of continuing along the freeway nice and fast, they decided, hey, what if instead of doing that, we did this absurdly weird-ass curve along... The road and it's somebody great. just not want to sell their parking lot. It's great. Yeah, you literally could have just kept following the freeway. It wouldn't have been too hard either. There's, there's space for it right here. <laughs> and then you could have had your weird little mall station, you know, actually closer to the mall. <laughs> <laughs> really, like Instead our fashion place last, which is like vaguely near fashion place mall. Yep. You know, I think this is a great. Oh, but ex- you couldn't have fit a park and ride in the giant parking lot of the. Mall. But there's already a parking parking lot there. Why not just use that one? Because it's the mall's parking lot, and the mall needs all four billion spaces oh, for Black okay. Friday. The mall is gonna fill up one day. I promise. It's never gonna fill no, up. No, one day, one day. I went by Best Buy on Friday. Mm-hmm. Well, this last Friday, which was Black Friday, and I know you're listening to this like five weeks in advance <laughs> or whatever. But <laughs> well, this is the news, so this is oh, so you will listen to this on time. So I went by Best Buy on Black Friday. The parking lot was not full. Somehow I'm unsurprised. We have been lied to. 
I was out on Black Friday, and it seemed like a normal day of shopping. It's because everyone goes crazy in the morning. Like, people will wait up at, like, 4 in the morning to go to stores. Yeah, but there's, there's no, like, remnants. Wait a second, Connor. Speaking of um, Black Friday shopping, there's a high-capacity transit line at this mall in yeah, Colorado. Yeah, it's not possible to go to the mall without that driving. That would be a wonderful way to absorb all that extra travel demand. How but, about no? But can you take <laughs> multiple plasma screen TVs on the train yes. with you? I, the New York subway, would, I would like to introduce you to because people <laughs> people in New York are carrying, like, I think it's called, like, the Carry Shit Olympics or something. <laughs> people are just carrying all sorts of weird shit on the subway all the time. I so bet, the answer is yes. I bet someone's moved with the subway. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, well, It'd probably that, be yeah. easier than like trying to <laughs> in New York, yeah. Trying to rent a truck, yeah. yeah. If you can carry it in your hands or on a cart, you're set. <laughs> yeah, just get like a little like, you know, foldable trailers that suburban soccer moms have. Uh-huh. Put mm. some boxes in it. Subway to your new house. Unload it all. Go back to your old house. No th- yep. you know. That sounds kinda fun. It actually does sound kinda fun. That if you get your friends you can, like, you can like, yeah, bring you all could, sorts of stuff. You could have, like, some friends way at either end, and you do the running back and forth. That's while right. Yeah. And That's a good point. It's like a conveyor belt. So just have, like, two... Well, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> 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 it sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, so on to the next bit of news. Uh, there is exciting news out of Vancouver, British Columbia today, as the second TBM, nicknamed Phyllis, has been <laughs> put into place to begin boring tunnels for the new Broadway SkyTrain extension. Contrary to the SkyTrain brand, this new section will be almost entirely tunneled (laughs) and will connect dense western areas of the city, including the University of British Columbia, to the SkyTrain network. Once it's completed, the Millennium Line will take over service on the section, providing the fast service and short headways that SkyTrain is famous for. Isn't this the extension that was, like, mildly controversial, cost a lot of money, and got cut back? I don't think it got cut back, but I know it was mildly controversial and it cost a relatively high amount of money to other SkyTrain extensions because it is in a tunnel instead of in a viaduct. That would do it. Why is it in a tunnel and not in a viaduct? NIMBYism. (laughs) What do the NIMBYs have against viaducts? There is a train in the sky and that's bad. Right. (laughs) A train you can see is a bad train. That's correct. Lots of cars on the ground all the time, fine. Train in the sky, bad. Well, and I'm just mad because this is really ruining SkyTrain's brand of being the SkyTrain. What, floor train now? (laughs) Now it's it's underground. Mole train. (laughs) Mole train. Mole train. (laughs) So, um, also, I would like to put out a note to Dark Brandon um, today because he has released a rather unfortunate decision regarding the sort of impending railroad strike on the Class 1s. You are pro-union, yes, as is well aware from your voting record in the Senate and from your policies that you've implemented. So maybe don't si- side with the evil corporations to prevent a strike. And he's like... In his statement, oh, well, having a rail strike would cripple the economy. That's yes, the point. That <laughs> is the point of a strike. It's this is like, don't <laughs> protest in, in the street. You're blocking traffic. Exactly. That is actually the entire point. And I understand you're trying to get reelected in two years, and that's fine. But you know who's a great base of support? Railroad workers. <laughs> so maybe support their strike so they can have decent working conditions. That is all. Thank you, President Joe Biden, who definitely listens to this. Or at least leave it be like any other normal strike at a normal corporation that doesn't have weird rail <laughs> labor laws. Uh, 
Mm. Yeah, I like the let it be strategy. Mm. Just look. If the 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 class ones have been fucking around with PSR and firing a whole ton of people and making life hell for their workers. Shouldn't encourage it. They need to find out. <laughs> uh, so this has been the news. Il y a un problème. Amtrak, il achète non de ce track. No. Uh, so. Big problem with, with Amtrak, Amtrak, which we are continuing to talk about for the third and final time today. Until we do the prequels. Until we do the prequels. This talking point is entitled, Capital The, Capital Problem. Yes, the problem. The, the problem, <laughs> some might say. Yeah, I think most people would agree with us on this one. The problem. Yeah. So Amtrak owns barely any of its track, which forces it to operate on host railroads, which are only obligated to allow a few or one trains a day. This greatly hinders Amtrak's ability to run decent service and sets high barriers for opening new routes because Amtrak has to pay for track upgrades a lot of the time. So as was discussed in all of the history things that we talked about in our previous two episodes about Amtrak, Amtrak has to contend with the big Class 1 railroads, Union Pacific, BNSF, CSX and Norfolk Southern, as well as Canadian National and Canadian Pacific, but both of them are pretty nice to Amtrak. (laughs) And all of these railroads hate Amtrak because Amtrak just pays them at cost in exchange for what it takes to let them run trains, whereas they could run, say, a two-mile-long boxcar train or some auto carriers or some double-stack freight containers and make more money. And also Amtrak expects them to, like have track that works. <laughs> That's funny. And that also costs money. Because they have to go more than three miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so currently, and this, and now we're going to talk about just the general problems with the American railroad industry because to understand why everything is so broken for Amtrak, you have to understand why the American railroad industry is so broken. Makes sense. Uh, so currently, railroads move about one-third of the freight in the United States. That's it? That's it. Okay, but imagine if you put all that freight on trucks. Right, you'd have like it through some 10 like, billion more trucks. Well, where are you putting the other two-thirds is my question. Trucks. Trucks. That sounds very expensive. It is very expensive and very inefficient and very bad for our freeways. <laughs> and bad for our air. It's why, it's why they're rebuilding every stretch of freeway like every five to ten years it's anymore. It's trucks. Is trucks, because we just have a billion of them, and they weigh a ton, and they just destroy the roads. Hot take. The four-lane divided highway is the ultimate form of the freeway. Yes. And you really shouldn't need anything more. If you do, then you should have something else instead of a freeway. For example, <laughs> a four-lane divided highway with a train next to it. <laughs> or in the middle, if you're into that. Middle's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so... And, of course, this is nowhere near enough. And the reason for this is because railroads, per, like, ton of freight carried, produce one-tenth or less of the carbon emissions of trucking. So it is necessary for the climate to not burn us all alive uh, that we vastly increase the amount of traffic that we are carrying by rail. This is notably one of those things that, unlike electricity, you can't just flip a switch and make it run off of not coal and not fossil fuels. Because you can't flip a switch to make trucks stop 
polluting the air. This is true because um, electric trucks are never going to be as economical as uh, diesel trucks. And the reason for that is this wonderful metric known as energy density. And I would encourage you to look that up. It also, battery charging sort of conflicts with the like nature of the trucking system because it's it's Anyways. just yeah it's not good electric trucks might find their niche going around the city and doing deliveries yeah but they're not going to be as compelling of an option ever for, for long haul intercity yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting interesting well so in addition uh, it is much easier to drastically reduce the emissions that the railroad industry currently produces because of these wonderful things invented a hundred and some years ago called catenaries which you can put above the train and then they get its power from that instead of from burning dead plankton and stuff I'm Um, glad you didn't say dinosaurs yeah Yeah, burning dead dinosaurs and stuff Dub that over the previous one please (laughs) (laughs) oh jeez just to tick off Alex I'm slightly surprised you're not advocating for third rail freight. <laughs> oh, I've never been this horny in my entire life. <laughs> oh, jeez. But anyways, trains, extraordinarily easy to electrify. In my opinion, it's probably just easier, easier to use electricity than to use diesel. Well, on my way to Green River, I saw a 12 or 13 locomotive. Yeah. Like, probably... <sighs> Two mile long. That's well, and diesel. the reason that yeah. they have like, because you really need like six to actually run that train, but they have thirteen because so they can accelerate. They're it. allergic to capital investment, and so some of their locomotives will probably break down on the way. <laughs> Genius. So they just turn that one off and turn on a different one. Another I nice thing. I can smart or not. Goodness. Well, that's why Amtrak double heads all of its locomotives on long distance routes. Another nice thing about catenary or third rail electric trains (laughs) is that they're a lot mechanically simpler, so they don't just break anywhere near as often. Yeah, and they also are not very prone to, like, exploding, which trains currently sometimes do. Because they're full of diesel. They are full of explosive, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, Interesting how that works. Also, the railroads have this thing that they've discovered in about the last five or ten years, and it's known as um, precision scheduled railroading. Which is the techno babble for how long of a train can we run exactly? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. Yeah, so um, the funny thing about it is it's not particularly precision or scheduled, and it's really only marginally railroading. Um, In the words of the CEO of the American Chemistry Council, Chris John, uh, quote, precision scheduled railroading is doing less with less. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's not good and so basically what the railroads have done over the last four or five decades leading up to their adoption of prison scheduled railroading is number one make massive mergers with all of their rivals to decrease competition because competition makes them have to like do things to better themselves yes and also just compete yeah, kind of yeah, competition is bad, and monopoly is good. In the view of these <laughs> Class 1 railroads, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then decrease track capacity to kill off the ma- remaining competition, because if only you are able to run trains over your track because it has such limited infrastructure, then nobody else can compete with you on your routes. Oh, jeez. <laughs> this is a big contrast to, like, the, the overseas <laughs> main lines that are, like, electric double track. <laughs> 
genius of capitalism it, at the, work. the best this is the best capitalism this has ever is, done this is like what a corporation does right its point is to make money or its point is to work in the interests of its shareholders, which, which means its point to is to make, make money. money. <laughs> so what these class ones here are doing is they're optimizing everything about their line of business to make them more money. Right. Uh, and then number three of things that they have loved to do in the last 50 years is simply not invest in capital until something actually breaks or the FRA makes them. <laughs> For example, new locomotives that don't break down mid Yeah, there hasn't really been like a mass order of locomotives since like the 90s. Yeah. Like, we're just running ancient rolling stock. Because if only half of them break on your cross-country trip, it still works. Yeah, then you fix the other half, and then the uh, the previous half that worked before breaks (laughs) the next trip. It's just a cycle. Great. And things like, I don't know, improved grade crossings? Why would we do those? When we could simply let the farmer get hit by the train. But most we're going to kill is the two train crew and the driver of the farm equipment. It's not too bad. Yeah. Acceptable losses. EPA value of a human life is about ten million dollars, so it's about thirty million. You can UP's sweep that up. value of a human EPA. Life? Oh, that's weak. The so U.S. military pays out only like seven hundred thousand for a human life. Ooh. Well, the EPA is using some obscure economic value, and I think they're inflating it so people don't feel bad about their people, self-worth. The average earning. Okay, now we're going to have this conversation because the average American in their lifetime earns approximately $1.7 million. So that is vastly overinflated. Economic value, whatever the hell that means. That doesn't make any sense because if you only earn $1.7 million in your life, you can only spend $1.7 million in your life. So your economic value to society is $1.7 million. Mm. Although I guess there are but, but think about the smiles. Think about the joy those people <laughs> Wow, bring. I'm worth $10 million. <laughs> the EPA can put a price on joy uh, and happiness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, and then thing number four that uh, the railroads have loved to do is run ever longer trains to cut down on the number of crew members required to operate a train. So instead of running four trains with two crew each, you run one train with just two crew. Well, actually, you run one train with three crew because what happens with precision scheduled railroading is you end up sitting at a switch for 10 hours and time out of your, like, you know, a lot of time, G-Core time schedule every day. And then the other crew has to come and replace you while the other crew has just barely got through the switch. Then the crew that was sitting around at home waiting while you were sitting at the switch gets on your train and takes it while another person is doing the exact same other thing on the other side of the double track because there are no sidings for 500 miles. <laughs> Connor, this, this lemon I'm holding here is an employee, and I'm going to juice it Yeah. for profit. Yeah. This is what the recent almost railroad strike was. Uh, not almost. Oh? It was temporarily averted by the Biden administration. This most recent temporarily averted <laughs> railroad strike by act of the of the administration of the United yeah, States. Yeah, they were trying not to lose the election. Mm, yeah, anyways. they did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What that was about was not pay. The railroad employees specifically rejected the offer of the railroads just give them a crap ton more money. And it was instead about stop abusing our time and let us have a personal life outside of being on call for most of our mortal existence. Let us see doctors and be healthy. (laughs) Yes, yes, also let us see doctors. Yeah, that too. Uh, So, essentially... 
What PSR has become is trying to run trains with as few people as possible, since personnel are always the most expensive part of operating anything. And if we can squeeze a few more nickels and dimes out, um, all the better. Yeah, um, this basically means you run like just absurdly long, like two plus mile long trains, uh, which, you know, okay, fine, it's a long train. There's nothing inherently bad about a long train except it's really slow to accelerate. Mm-hmm. Except, remember how they don't like to invest in infrastructure? The- so the sidings on most of their main lines, which are now mostly single-tracked because, again, they have not invested in infrastructure, are not long enough to fit their trains. Which so is So they can't bad. pass each other except, like, very rarely... Like, if you had sidings fit for two-mile trains, it would probably not be the end of the world to run two-mile trains. But since you don't, it is. So if they just actually did the right things and kept track and had proper sized sidings, would... You can I run a five-mile train if you want, as long as you have the infrastructure for it. Yeah, the issue here is that they're overbooking what their infrastructure is built for. So would it not just be more cost-effective to have better infrastructure? Well, no, because then you would have to do capital investment. You and would that have takes to spend away, money. That takes away the amount of money that the shareholders get now. Short-term profit is what we're optimizing it's, for. Okay. Yeah, nothing else. So it's not logical. It's just money, money, money? Yes. Something it's, like it's that. It's literally just money, money, money. That is insane to me. Like, yeah. Connor, imagine if we had a front-runner train that was longer than the station siding. Sick. You know you want it. <laughs> you know you want it. Board it like an airplane. You know you want it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I would like to see Warren Buffett. Like longer than the actual entire station site? Oh, no. Longer than the platform, though. Yeah, sure. On air show Sundays. Oh. We were in like a six-car bomb car train. Right, because Frontrunner is not double-tracked and does not have very good signaling, which kneecaps its ability to run event service. Well, it wasn't really that, just so much as we weren't planning to run very many trains that day in general because it was a Sunday. Uh, like, we could, because we were running only in one direction, so we could effectively run as much frequency as we want. How many people fit in the air show? Hundreds of thousands. They carried, like, three, four thousand that day with, like, five trains, so. <laughs> it was it was a day, I'll yeah. tell you. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't work that one. (laughs) (laughs) And that was just after they cut the comets off of our trains, too. Oof. Probably could have coordinated that a little bit better. It was really bad on Saturday. Two comets and six bomb cars. It was really bad on Saturday, Kyle. It was so bad on Saturday. Uh, Well, I'd like to see Warren Buffett get put on a train crew for BNSF and see how (laughs) he does. Right. Yeah. Um, So... What this does is it basically creates railroad gridlock and destroys any pretense of fast or extant schedules for, like, freight or passenger service. And, like, this is why the share of freight traffic in this country as compared to other modes is continually just decreasing and decreasing and decreasing and the economic value of the cargo they're carrying is decreasing and decreasing because and decreasing. Because the freight railroads are cutting their own legs off. Right, because, because if you have time-sensitive cargo, you can't send it on a U.S. railroad anymore, otherwise it won't get there in time. I, I don't even think it's a hacksaw. I think it's probably more like a toothbrush. <laughs> hacksaw yeah. is too, too expensive. Too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Also, this is the cause of the vast majority of Amtrak delays. Because if you're an Amtrak train, you know you're puttering along at like 55 along these terrible tracks that Union Pacific has so graciously provided to you. And there's a freight train coming at you the same direct, going the opposite direction of you on this single track mainline. Guess who's the only train that can fit in the siding? The Amtrak the train. The Amtrak train. So the Amtrak train gets to sit in the siding while this two-mile-long freight train goes along at three miles an hour because only one of its 47 <laughs> locomotives is working. <laughs> and the track is about to fall into the water. Yeah. <laughs> My God. So, not good. To um, say the least. And then also Amtrak trains because, you know, every line is single track now. They just get stuck behind this three mile an hour forty seven locomotive train. <laughs> yeah. And can't go fast. Cause there's nowhere for it to pass the train because the sidings are shorter than the train. So you can't even like sneak up behind a freight train, get on the siding and pass and, it. And sneak around it, no. Because it's way past the end of the siding yeah. by the time you, so you get to, to wait the start. For, you have to wait for like a longer double track section, which are not very common on American railroads in like, especially in the West anymore. Th- this is unbelievable. Yeah. I love how you say anymore to be used to have double track main lines and just tore up one of the We used to have mostly quad track main lines in this country. I'm not kidding you. Like, people, like, when there were these private railroads, it was the golden age of railroading. Like, the Pennsylvania Railroad had, like, just quad track all the way from, like, New York to Chicago. That's insane. I would think because, like, the majority of the the cost of these long-distance rails would be, like, the earthworks and the property and the bridge structures and such. It wouldn't be that hard to just have tracks on yeah. them. But basically, there were just, there were so many, like, just absurd infrastructure for rails back in the day. And then railroads slowly, you know, to save money. And as they were losing money in the, in the days before Amtrak... They would just tear up the rails and sell for scrap to stay solvent until we got to, like, a pretty bad state already. And then the railroads consolidated, and they're like, hmm, Let's what if we did out. that, but even worse, and then single-tracked everything? I'm pissed off. Yeah, you should be. Yeah. yeah. Well, what are you even supposed to say to that? Like, that might be... So, that, that might be the dumbest decision I've heard of in a long time. Right. Um, I know what to say to that. But this does have a benefit. <laughs> oh? Yes. Uh, it has allowed railroads to decrease staffing by 29% in the last five years, getting rid of a glorious 51,000 American Union jobs. Getting rid of American jobs is a great American pastime. Yeah, great American pastime. I thought that, that it was good to have more good American Union jobs. Nope. No, why, why would American jobs be good for America? Yeah. Like, this train is explain carrying, that to me. This train is carrying jobs out of Cleveland, or wait, America. And not very fast. Yeah, three miles an hour. Till it hits Canadian track when it has to go two miles an hour. <laughs> why, why slower in Canada? Just, it's even, wor- worse? it's even worse in Canada. It's worse in Canada? Uh, yeah. And the I, great I thing always, is one of their railroads is nationalized and it's still terrible. So I, I always <laughs> forget Canada's not like just a better country. Like, well it, it is a better country, but it's basically it's like America. It's like America except intra city public transportation is really good there. And inter city is just is even worse than ours. Yeah. But just just like with cars, with freight, it's just America just north. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, there is one good thing about Canadian suburbs, though. What? It's really easy to leave. 
just good transit service out of them. Oh, so great. It's, okay. really, it's really easy to leave. <laughs> I, sh- I should have not needed that explained to me. Yeah, cool. like it's easy to leave the New York suburbs. You can catch one of any three billion NJT <laughs> trains or whatever. Yeah. Well. So, yeah. Um, so, this basically all of this is just so that shareholders can just reap the profits. Like, like it's like cannibalizing yourself, right? Like in the short term, wow, my stomach is much fuller than it's been. And in the long term, you bleed out and die. <laughs> so maybe short-term profit isn't the best thing to run an infrastructure system on. Huh. <gasps> we should run the interstate highway system on a short-term profit model. I agree. <laughs> I, I want, like the, I want the interstate system to fail. I don't want the railroads to fail. Um, I, I just... I don't... Well, I guess I do get it, because there's the big railroads now, but how how does no one, like, see this is an issue and has tons of well, money? Well, because the the uh, railroads got the Interstate Commerce Commission abolished, which was the regulatory agency governing railroads, oh. uh, and instead now there's, like, this toothless little, like, federal trade board or something, which can't actually do anything to enforce laws or... So like we see all of this, better. that lobbying money has declawed anything that could fix it. Why are all effective lobbyists doing the bad things? They have money. They have blood money. <laughs> they, yeah, you can't really blame them. I mean, you make a lot of money as a lobbyist. and As a consultant, going, not a lobbyist. A it's going to happen whether you do it personally or not, so may as well, all right? Yeah. And also, a lot of them are, like, horrible libertarians and shit like that who think this stuff is good. <laughs> and not to yeah. mention, who has all the money? The class ones. Who doesn't have all the money? The transit advocates. Amtrak, yeah. And Amtrak. <laughs> it's a sad state of affairs. It's, yeah. like, it's like with oil. Like, you have a bunch of oil blood money, and it only takes a little slice of that to keep making more. Yeah, to bribe off Congress. <laughs> yeah. So This country is so... We're beep. having we're having a time at the moment. Beep, I mean, beep. we're always having a time, beep, but we're beep, having beep. we're having a particular time. Oh, yeah. cool. Uh, so basically, class ones are bad and are sabotaging their own industry as well as intercity rail in this country. All of their profitability is based off of allowing their infrastructure to degrade in favor of short-term payback for investors. This is a fundamentally unsustainable model for the country, especially at a time when we need to rapidly increase the amount of freight and passengers carried on America's railroads. Something, something, climate, something, something. Okay, and just a second, because, like, everything in this country is always built to make it easy for the military to move lots of stuff, so wouldn't Mm. this be a problem for the military also? Like, oh, the insert enemy country is invading California. We need to move 40,000 tanks across the entire country, but we can't put them on the roads. Oh, we'll use the railroads. 40 years later, look at that. The first Union Pacific train of tanks has arrived in California (laughs) 30 years after the entire country was occupied by enemy country. And then the funny thing is they'll do rail, right? Yeah, yeah. Because they need it. Yeah, because they see the value in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, like... Not good. And U.S. military, if we're we're going to build our highways and our state routes and our road systems to standards that allow the military to move whatever their biggest bomb is under all the bridges, (laughs) can we have similar standards for rail? Yeah, like every American 
highway should have a high-speed rail next to it that's large enough to fit an M1 Abrams tank on a flat car, just in case. <laughs> uh, it's it's, a, a it's not here. a bad idea, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Whatever gets it done. But <laughs> is this something we can expect from President, well, future President Buttigieg? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, uh, he even is, the good ones. He is much better than a lot of transportation secretaries before him, but mm-hmm. I, his main focus is on intra-city transportation which because is, that is where it is easiest to improve in America. Which is not a bad thing, and we're not going to complain. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or intra-city and northeast transportation, I should say, where it's easy to improve. <laughs> intra-city and, and the northeast. <laughs> yeah. Intra-city and the northeast. But, thankfully, there is a solution. What do we want? Railroad nationalization. When do we want it? Yesterday. Yesterday. Let's go. I know, we're smart. Uh, So the solution to massive underinvestment by the railroads on land granted to them by the United States over 100 years ago, virtually for free, is simple. The tracks are on U.S. land. They're ours now. (laughs) (laughs) That seems pretty straightforward. That's a joke. This is not even a vaguely socialist policy. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's about as socialist as the interstate highway system. Yeah. So, well, and well of course, but you know, when the government does stuff, that's socialism. Unless it's cars, in which case it's my freedoms. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I'm a libertarian, <laughs> if right. you couldn't tell I by the impression. Tell, yes. Good. We can, of course, uh, pay the railroads for their things. They're not worth very much. Like, I don't know, $20 billion is the worth of every railroad track in this country at this point? Jeez. Like, Connor's touched on the land and, like, the actual things that are on the land. Yeah, we gave them the land. We'll just take it back, man. Like, I don't care. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Yeah, so we stole the land from Native Americans. Then we uh-huh. gave it to them for free. So I figure we See, should we should take the land back and then pay the Native Americans for it. Yeah, that seems reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, sense. it has been done before. During World War One. President Wilson, noted asshole, uh, <laughs> nationali- <laughs> nationalized the railroads and implemented reforms to standardize rolling stock and operations. This like, resulted in a large efficiency gain. Hmm. Like, straight up, the government owns the railroads? Government owned the railroads and the operators. All right, then. Seems like a good idea. Yeah, they didn't give it back till 1920 either. Why'd they give it back? Because it wasn't theirs, and they didn't pay for it. They just took it for the emergency. For the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. They did a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, as climate change is a national emergency of unprecedented scale, there mm. could be good cause to do it so again, and this time permanently. And the really cool thing about... Too. Yeah, yeah, we can pay them, too. The really, really cool thing about doing this permanently is then we can invest in the infrastructure without it just going into the cannibal, cannibal money pit. That's right. So what we could do is Let's you say can you standardize wanna... signaling because oh, the railroads goodness. all have different signals. With modern signaling Fantastic. systems. <laughs> um, we can electrify it. Mm-hmm. We can make the track not suck ass. We can double track it so that we can actually have decent capacity over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, even if we're doing this step-by-step, step, good example. So you want to run or restore an Amtrak route, like the Pioneer Line. Doing that is going to require physical infrastructure upgrades that cost money because the railroads have been cannibalizing it in the meantime. So instead of paying 
Union Pacific or whoever to upgrade their own track and cannibalize it later, <laughs> we can just hold on to the nice things. Oh, man. And you guys should see the line between here and Boise. Like, yeah. it parallels the freeway for a good portion of the route. There is no ballast. Like, what? There is, like, sometimes it's so bad that the rails are basically sitting on the subsurface. Um, it's Usually isn't the ballast in, like, a pretty tall pile. Right. It's degraded to the point money. that, like, sometimes it's, like, almost just resting on the subsurface. It's not good. So c- can we not just run new rail as a nation adjacent to the old rail owned by the companies and then just wait for the rail to get so bad that they'll just sell it for nothing? Remember? We want to advance. We want to take advantage of the infrastructure that already exists because not all of it is bad enough to justify needing torn out and replaced. And if you recall what I said earlier about a good chunk of the investment being in land and earthworks, if you've right. ever seen some of the more difficult places to build rails, say, a mountain pass, or even just an area that's not perfectly flat. There are a lot of earthworks and a lot of structures that yeah, go into so making that Yeah, so doing that would make it very expensive. Yeah, I always forget America's not just yeah. flat. Yeah, and, it's a very, and it also, very hilly country. <laughs> yeah, and it also precludes incremental progress. Yes, uh, so you can do all these nice things. And keep them instead of having them cannibalized 20 years later. Right. And then, um, you know, provided you do this and then you make track upgrades, you make it be faster. Like, through the magic of having non garbage track. an hour or 79. Or, or on the flats, 125. Right. A higher speed rail, as some might call it. Uh, then suddenly you can run like a lot more Amtrak trains and they'll be competitive with driving. And freight can be competitive for a larger right, right, of the right. market. Like, if you can get, you know, a train from L.A. to New York in, like, two days, that's a game changer, sir. Yeah. Fair. That's taking trucks off the road for sure. Yeah. And lots of them because, you know, you can't right. run two-mile trains anymore. Sorry, Union Pacific. But you can still run a one-mile train, and that's 80 trucks run well, by two people. At least. Would it be... Yeah, you can double stack on the on the... Not to mention the containers, and there suddenly you have. Not to mention the weight capacity. Yeah, that is a good point. Would it be easy to convince these truckers that would be out of work to just join the railroads? Sure, why not? Yeah, American Union jobs. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it would be a much better job than trucking. Trucking is terrible. Terrible. No longer a job anymore. Yeah, it's a scam at this point, unfortunately. Yeah. Whereas with a train, through the magic of not having one driver for every train car, it's <laughs> very cost-effective to make the job like a pretty cushy one if we want to. Yeah, and also, you know, once again, you can run 160 trucks worth on a single train. With two or three people. Yeah. And you can still travel the country if you like that for uh-huh. trucking. Yep. Uh, and so this is where we get to what I am personally of the opinion is the best model for future American railroading. So let's say we buy the tracks, right? Like these tracks are now the property of Uncle Sam LLC or whatever. <laughs> and, and we've electrified a good portion of the important main lines. We've got minimum double track. We've got good track. We've got standardized signaling. We've got yada, 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 etc. We've got rails that are on rocks. Right. (laughs) We've basically created the freeway system. But trains. But trains. 
and what you can do with a freeway system but trains is what's something called open access operations. And that's where, let's say I have just founded a new railroad. My railroad is Redline Podcast Railroad Incorporated. And we own exactly one electric locomotive and one boxcar. And in that boxcar, we run back and forth from the podcast mines, bringing stuff to the to the people, right? Okay. This yeah. is our railroad. And we need to get on to the National Rail Network because... It goes long distance. We're expanding our operation to bring podcasts from the podcast mines to more people. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll get open a second mine. Right. We found a new so, content deposit. So as long as my railroad is certified to run on United States track. For example, everything's up to spec. Your train's not going to blow up. With operators who are, you know, certified to run on United States track and specific track portions because you have to be certified over specific track portions to engineer them. People don't know this, but it's true. And this is this is already a standard regulatory process that P-Core, we already do. Yes. Um, then my railroad can just operate over those rails as long as we submit a schedule that like works with the like Federal Railroad Scheduling Bureau or whatever that like does all the scheduling. We're like, hey, Federal Railroad Scheduling Bureau, we need to run a train from here to here to here to here to here to here. And they're like, okay, you can run this train at X time and you need to make these stops X amount of time. And we're doing and yada, these yada, yada, passing yada. sightings, whatever. Yeah, and it'll tell you your whole route. So basically, whoever wants to and is properly certified can run their train over the tracks. And what this does is, number one, it creates competition. So Alex is does not like the Red Line Podcast Railroad Incorporated. No, he and doesn't. And he wants to make his own railroad called the Blue Line Podcast <laughs> Railroad Incorporated. <laughs> and he found a fresh new content deposit. Fresh mm-hmm. new content deposit. And he wants to take content to the same places that I take content. He can do that, and suddenly I'm incentivized to make the Red Line Podcast Railroad Incorporated more better and faster and more efficient. And, and hold more content. And hold more content <laughs> than his railroad. And so we have competition going on. It's the market at work. It's like, wow, there are now four or five rail providers over this section instead of just one. And we're all competing with each other to try and get the best rates and be the fastest and provide the best service and the best scheduling and logistics and all this support crap. And suddenly everyone's like, wow, rail service has gotten much better than it used to be. So I'm going to start shipping my crap by rail instead of by 400 trucks. There we go. So actual free market at work. Yeah, this is this is is an appropriate application of a market. This is like one of the ideal situations for the free market. Commodities, not infrastructure. Yeah. How, how, geez, how could you be against that? Well, and then it gets even better. Because let's say my name is um, Mike Christensen, <laughs> and I would like to, to have more train service between here and St. George. And Amtrak, <laughs> now that we have this nice double-track main, down to Cedar City in a nice double track branch off to St. George or whatever, mm-hmm. or sightinged and single tracked, whatever. We have a nice branch to St. George because the federal government built it. And Amtrak already runs two trains a day, but that's not enough for Mike. Mike wants to run 10 trains a day. So what Mike does is he starts his own passenger railway called 
Mike's Passenger Railway Incorporated. And he buys some used trains. <laughs> he buys some trains. He sets, hires some engineers. Hires some engineers, gets certified, and suddenly Mike Christensen's railroad is running eight trips a day to and from St. George and Salt Lake City. Sounds like a beautiful, beautiful we thing. We right. Wish. Well, and then think about on the Northeast Corridor. Like, suddenly you have 40 other operators, like, running their own Acela sets over a quad-tracked main line, mm-hmm. and you can get from Boston a direct service from, like, Boston to D.C. with no stops. So this is, like, just competition at it's work. It's just letting... This is just it's letting it's competition pr- do its thing. It's a proper application of a free market. So right. how, how would everyone not like that? Well, because the government would have to own the railroads, and that would be bad. And that's that's the social so, that's so, socialism. Ugh, so, I'm not saying it. Never mind. Right, yeah. and so like you know, you could theoretically, and I'm not saying that this is a likely service that's going to exist, but get like I don't know a twice daily train direct from New York to L.A. and it takes like eh, one day eighteen hours. Pretty reasonable with higher speed rail track. And then it only gets better from there. Yeah. So, like, this is a good scenario because it allows Amtrak, first of all, to expand its operations to provide, like, a minimum level of service coverage everywhere. And then on high-demand routes where there's a lot of people who need to take the train more than, like, you know, three or two or three daily Amtrak trips can take, then you have these private operators who can come in and be like, hey, we're also going to operate over this route and make money off of it. Yeah. And, of course, we can endlessly debate over which route should have exactly how much public and exactly how much private service and tweak here and there as need well, be. Well, and then, of course, eventually we're going to have to, you know, increase capacity on some lines because we need to be able to accommodate freight and regular passenger service effectively because, you know, we need to electrify both. both. Those, yeah. And the best way to do that is via trains. So... Mm-hmm. So what, would they be paying the government? Yes. Yeah, you pay a use toll. So then we can have more trains with that money being reinvested. Yeah, the money is used from the trains, like, from yeah. from the Red Line Podcast Railroad Incorporated paying, like, $14,000 or whatever to go from Salt Lake City to New York and make every stop along the way. That money just goes back into the track, making sure it's in good condition, paying for the electricity and the catenaries. So the least we're covering the government's operations and maintenance and electricity. I don't think I've ever gone from so down to so up in an episode. Right. So, if we could do this, that would be very good. Rail revolution. (laughs) Okay, here's the kicker. The trouble is, as a politics expert, which I am, (laughs) um, very hard. We would need... A lot of political willpower. We would need a lot of political willpower and a lot of money and probably a 60-40 Senate to do this. <laughs> is there any way this could be done small scale to just show proof of concept? Or it's hard because it doesn't work as well on a small scale level because... You're not going to be reaping all those network effect benefits there's on a small no scale. There's no network effect and there's like limited utility to electrifying only one freight corridor because it has to switch over to diesel once it gets off that. Like, let's say we nationalized everything in Chicago and whatever state Chicago's in. In Illinois. In Illinois. Let's <laughs> How say do we you na- not know where Chicago is? It's, it's by the lake. Uh, let's say which, we... Which lake? <laughs> let's say we nationalized <laughs> everything in Illinois. 
That's that's great. I'm sure they can run a bit more compute. There'll be service. a lot more commuter service. Great. Great. That's it. That's it. Oh, and we can run like five Amtrak trips on the state-supported routes instead of one or two. Wow, so that's great. It's a little nothing then. Yeah, really. it's really got to yeah. be a whole hog effort. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that's not something I like to hear. No, but it is possible, especially once everyone realizes that, oh, shit, climate change is actually happening, which is going to happen in the next five to ten years as Pakistan keeps flooding every year or and a different Florida country goes keeps, underwater. And Florida slowly sinks <laughs> into the sea in July. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's not going to happen now, but it is a possibility, and it's important that people are aware that, like, we don't need to build high-speed rail, which... I have to say this very delicately to the audience, but most of America is not suited for high-speed rail. High-speed rail is super applicable on a few, like, local corridors. Right. Your Florida, your California, your Texas. Florida, California, Texas, Northeast, and Midwest, that's it. Everywhere else, unfortunately, it's probably never going to be economic enough. But you know what is economic? Let's go 125 on the flat 90, parts. <laughs> 90 on the less flat parts, 79 on the really less flat parts, <laughs> and 125 on the flat parts. That can be done for only marginal cost over regular rails. And that's already faster than cars and trucks. Right, and like I said, I think with that you could get from New York to L.A. in like an, an, uh, a day and 18 hours probably. Easy. And because you don't need to like stop and sleep. I don't know what madman would choose to drive over that. A lot of a lot of Americans do. Some people like it. Like, I've driven to what's on the other side of the river from Kansas, Missouri, from Goodness. Boise, Idaho, which is over twelve hundred miles. But um, imagine if you could have that same experience on a relatively frequent, higher speed electric passenger train. Get off, look around, get on the next one in an hour. Well, I know, personally, I drove to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Oh, dear God. Worst, like, that is, don't do it. Just don't do it. Well, if if I got the chance to ride a train, I would every single time. I mean, it wouldn't be that much worse on Amtrak, would it? Uh, there would, how do you mean? Just In terms of, like, time or cost? Um... Not, not significantly, no. Oh. I don't yeah. think so. But, okay, well, um, next, time, next time we go to Seattle, we'll just take the Zephyr to California and then the Starlight up I, north. I'd rather <laughs> just wait for the Pioneer. But, yeah. But I, 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 would, I, I would pick train every single time. I'm convinced. Well, mm-hmm. and most people actually would if yeah. given a legitimate choice because the thing about driving is it is very expensive. Yes. <laughs> And it's very dangerous. It's too. very dangerous. So I, I almost fell asleep a couple times <laughs> oh, driving. Goodness. I, I have too. I, it, mean, uh, I it drive was bad. Like I drive the six hours to Boise and back. Like uh. that's six hours to Boise and then six hours back. Like ten, fifteen times a year, and it is very hard to stay awake. And I, you know, grew safe. up my entire life driving twelve hours each direction three times a year from Boise to Great Falls. And that may never be a trip that's, like, well-served by rail, but holy cow, would have it been better if we could yeah. have done something else. Yeah. On, on the basis of cost, on travel time, and convenience alone, that's enough to win over the overwhelming majority of the general public. Well, yeah, I, I would rather sit on a train for 
even like eight or 12 hours longer than drink more Red Bull than I've had in my life <laughs> and potentially die in a car. I always get really bad acne when I have to drive because to stay awake, I just eat candy the entire time. See, it's the only way I can stay awake. It's a good strategy, like, but uh, <laughs> you yeah. can also just die as well. Yeah. 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 And there will always be a fairly small percentage of people who will drive and like driving. And great for them. They can go enjoy go their four-lane divided highway yeah. in their electric car. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and that's not a problem because it it's an electric car. And also, you're not trying to fit everybody in cars. You're fitting some people sometimes for some trips. Yeah, it would also be a lot safer and more comfortable mm-hmm. with also less people on the road. Also, VMT. Yeah, yeah, VMT tax. VMT vehicle miles traveled. Yeah, fair enough. Traditionally, based on weight. Ooh, yes. See, I'm still waiting. For based them. on some sort of road damage metric. Weight. Weight is the road damage metric. And the weight to the fourth power is some crap, I think. Well, yeah, but, like, you can still, anyway. Axle weight. Uh, I'm waiting for them to come out with a little monitor you can keep in your car that keeps track of the mileage, lets you know how much you spent, and you can, like, input, like, how much tires were and how much oil change was. And at the end of the year, it'll be like, this is how much you spent, and why would you do this? Well, like, you see, and I like to pretend, like, driving to Boise and back only costs me, like, $200. Because you're only, quote-unquote, paying for gas. Well, and it's $200 worth of gas most of the time. Um, <laughs> but the reality is... Tires. Depreciation. Oil. Tires. Oil change. Wiper fluid, which I have to replace every time because I get so many bugs on the damn windshield. The, the car itself. The car is depreciating. Oh, depreciation. The insurance, yada yada yada. And so, in reality, what is it? What is it? The cost, the total cost to society of me driving to Boise and back. Because Kyle and I have discovered that for every vehicle mile traveled, the individual and society as a whole spend seventy-two cents mm-hmm. on average. On average. That's and on so average. Times. That's a lot. Like, what is it, 700-ish miles both ways? I spend $504 worth of society's money going back from from here to Boise and back. And through simple physics, that could be made uh, so much less on a train. Like, it, so could, be it made... could cost society $100 and me $150 to get to Boise and back. Well, I'd reckon it'd be substantially less than that on this imaginary nationalized railroad. Although I'm imagining people think fares are cheaper on European railroads than they are. Fares are not that cheap on European railroads. Like, it's still going to cost a bit of money to go between cities. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to be cheaper than driving yourself. Especially if you're alone. Yeah. Yeah. Or even with, like, one other person, two other people. Yeah, I'd I'd reckon we can probably be one, two, or three people. Ooh, Yeah. Kids are smaller. So anyway, the future of American railroading (laughs) is nationalized, double-tracked, electrified, 90 to 125 mile-per-hour tracks with relatively frequent Amtrak service and high levels of competition among railways. Sound great? And lots of electric freight. Yeah. Yeah. Stop abusing your employees and the environment. You can solve, like, a third of climate change by doing this. Like, I hate to break it to people. Like, the transportation sector. Go burr. Yeah, finish the rest by not eating meat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. So, uh... 
Well, I can get behind train so- socialism. Yeah. See, I said it this time. Train. Yeah. Boo. Socialism bad. Boo. See, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a socialist, but I can get behind the train. I'm a train socialist. Yeah, I'm yeah. a train socialist. If we could do the interstate highway, I think we could do the interstate highway except trains. The interstate trains. railway. The interstate railway. I, wa- I think it needs to have a cool name that for people who are campaigning at the And cool signs. The Pete uh, Buttigieg Memorial. <laughs> the Pete <laughs> Buttigieg Memorial Railway. <laughs> no, well, I think like something like... Eisenhower? Well, no, he did the car. He did the, he did the highways. Yeah, I mind. think that, like, it should have America in it somewhere. Yeah. Oh, you know what? The Grand American Railway. Because yeah. railways traditionally are, like, the Pennsylvania and something or another, so, like... Name it after the place. The Grand American Railway. Oh, and guess what? We can build the whole or thing the without American. bulldozing minority neighborhoods. That is true. Through the magic Whoa. of using existing rails and existing right-of-way. That is true. Yeah. If anything, we could spend big government money to make things better in aforementioned areas. Wow. <clears throat> Rio Grande plan. Ow. I'm excited for the Rio Grande plan Do. when it happens mm. in if. the next 30 years. Uh, when we get some watered-down version of it in, like... 50 years. Yeah, where they don't pay the whales. Yes. Uh, so, thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube, and to follow and leave us a rating on iTunes and Spotify. If you really liked what you heard, we do have a Patreon where you can get early access, bonus content, and more. We did release our very first bonus episode. Yeah, so if you're a patron and you're listening to this you haven't heard it yet, you should. It's about two weird, like, Trolley-ish They're line? called high-speed lines. Yeah, but they're not. And they're in the <laughs> sense of it's a cool name that somebody thought they should put on the system. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, that's that's the... Yeah, you should subscribe to Patreon because we actually have Patreon content now. Yeah, go us. Uh, and then our patrons are Zach Adams at $20 a month, Curtis Herring at $10 a month, Mike Christensen at $10 a month, and Phobos2390 at $10 a month. Thank you all very much. They are part of our frontrunner tier. At $5 a month, our deadline tier, we have Brian Smith, Christopher Whaley, Jacob Whitecotton, and Robert P. Walsh. Thank you. Yeah. At $3 blue line tier, we have Ben Busath, DJ Will Watkins, Hi, Will. Ethan McDonald, and Martin Hawker Martinez. Thank you for listening, and have an excellent day. And also, that's, 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 what that's do we want? Nationalize the railroads. When do we want it? Twenty years ago. Yeah. Oh yeah, twenty years ago is back to yesterday. Twenty years ago is yesterday. Twenty years ago, we were doing a bit of a neoliberalism. (laughs) 